Welcome to episode 145 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler, and I'm Josh Legler, and this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, are you a fair weather backpacker? This was a question I was seriously asking myself on our last trip, and I think I figured out the answer. Then we'll share the top five features we wish our gear had. Nothing too crazy, I promise. Next, we'll share an inspiring listener story. Then you'll learn the simple steps to make your own whole grain flatbread for your next trip. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first. 40 miles. We love going on backpacking trips when the highs are in the lower 70s and the lows are in the upper 50s. But those golden trips are so rare, and it's really left me wondering. You know, after so many rainy, cold backpacking trips, am I a fair weather backpacker? And I've been really bothered by this question for a while. Am I a fair weather backpacker? Well, I can tell you what my answer was on the last trip that we took. While my legs were being soaked by rain-drenched ferns, and my glasses were fogging up, and my waterproof shoes were filling up with water, and my hands were losing their feeling from being so cold and wet, it just felt like it was. Another trip where every single piece of gear would have to be unpacked and dried out at home by being draped over every single piece of furniture that we own or spread out in the garage. So after that trip, I just kind of wondered, am I a fair weather backpacker? Well, I know that if I had stayed home, then none of that would have happened. But if I had stayed home, none of this would have happened. Our family arrived at our secret backpacking spot around dinner time, and right before leaving for that trip, I had baked a crusty loaf of Asiago herbed bread, and the bread was still warm when we packed it. So as we were setting up all of our tents and hammocks, every time I walked past Josh's pack, it smelled like an Italian bakery. This was also the first trip that our family took where we had a chance to use our ham radios to stay connected on the trail. So it was great to get little micro trail reports from our two older kids as they blazed ahead. And because this was just going to be an overnighter trip, we didn't really stress too much about what the kids packed. We just told them to pack water, a place to sleep, and a way to keep dry. So when we arrived at camp and they all started unpacking. It was so fulfilling to see what our children have kind of picked up over the last few years in terms of self-reliance and some basic backpacking skills. We finished pitching the tents and hanging the hammocks, and then we all gathered under a tarp for dinner. And that was when we pulled out the crusty loaf, and we also pulled out some cold cheese pizza and some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and trail mix and homemade beef jerky and some fresh red grapes. The day had been mostly dry, so we were able to gather some wood and get a fire going that night. And we kept it going until all the coals beneath the flames were glowing orange. 
And then that night we got to bed fairly early because we knew we'd be waking up the next morning to help out with the BLM land cleanup organized by Solve. We finally got to sleep, and as I was falling asleep, I heard an owl, which is just a really majestic creature, but it's like a mysterious majestic creature, so it's always so fun to hear an owl in the woods. And then I heard the sound of rain hitting our tent, which made me smile because I thought, oh good, it's raining now while we're in our tents, so then it'll get it all out of its system and it'll be nice and dry when we wake up. We woke up the next morning to join the cleanup crews and we got to connect with the county search and rescue and the law enforcement and all the friendly BLM folks. This cleanup was one of the highlights of the trip. It was, I mean, sad to see all the garbage that people dumped, but also just wildly entertaining to see the garbage of life. (laughs) You know, we had bags full of shotgun shells, broken glass, polyfill, you know, the fluffy stuff that's inside large stuffed animals. We found the, the body of a large stuffed animal that was missing all of its polyfill. We found bullet riddled plastic milk jugs. We found a mannequin leg. And then after the cleanup, we joined everyone for lunch, then headed back to our site to break camp. And that was when things kind of took a turn. Things just kind of got weird over the next couple hours. Our 17-year-old daughter decided to stay in the van at the trailhead since she had already packed up all of her gear that morning, and it was just starting to rain. So the rest of us headed back to camp, which was about, what, about a mile in? Yeah, a mile and a quarter. Yeah. So we headed back to pack up all of our stuff. And as I arrived in camp, I heard Josh on the ham radio. I guess while our daughter was waiting for us at the trailhead, someone had pulled up in front of our van. They had gotten out without putting the car into park and the vehicle hit our van. And hearing about this and hearing little snippets, I didn't hear the whole story. um, My mother instincts were freaking out. And My only consolation was that we had direct contact with our daughter through our amateur radios. And for some reason, I had left mine in the van. I probably won't make that mistake again because I felt totally out of the loop and uh, had no idea what was happening. I just thought, oh, no, what what terrible thing could be happening at the trailhead? So we quickly packed up camp, shoving wet tarps and tents and hammocks into our soaking wet packs. By this point, it was pouring, like cold, wet, thick, heavy rain. Yeah, you said it it had started to rain, and indeed it had, (laughs) but it was dumping by this point. Yeah, yeah, like a good solid northwest rain. So Josh, the boys, and I headed back to the trailhead, walking about double speed, and my heart pounding because I was so worried about what I was going to find at the trailhead and worried about the safety of our daughter. Um, Josh didn't seem too worried. And I think it's because he had the full story, which I would find out at the trailhead what the full story was. Yeah, I had talked back and forth with our daughter over our amateur radios. And so I knew who had run into our van and uh, who was there and who would be back. I knew all of that, but maybe you didn't hear all of that. You just overheard a little bit. Right. And I was just, I mean, the rain was coming. I knew we had to get packed up fast because it was cold rain. And I just wanted to get out of there. My hands were feeling numb from the cold. And, you know, I was just a little grumpy and feeling out of control, feeling like, oh, why does this always happen? Well, 
When we arrived at the trailhead, we saw a white SUV police vehicle parked next to our van. And I quickly checked in with our daughter to get all the details. Who was the person who hit her? Where were they? Is everyone okay? And then she handed me the business card and the insurance information of the deputy sheriff and explained that it was actually the policeman who had rolled into our van. No damage, no injury, just a sheepish deputy and a family of soaking wet hikers who were trying not to laugh at the whole insane situation. So am I a fair weather backpacker? (laughs) I still really can't explain why or how my answer changed by the end of the trip, but I do know that if I had stayed home, that none of this would have happened. Like the memories, the the sheriff running into our van, the chaotic panic at the end when things were pouring and we were trying to shove everything into packs and all of that stuff makes for great memories. And maybe when you're in the moment, it doesn't make for a great time and it's okay to have grumbly feelings. But when you get back and your hands have finally regained their feeling and you're in dry clothes and you're feeling much better, (laughs) looking back is a lot of fun. It's such a funny thing. It's hard to describe. One of our listeners wrote to us a couple months ago and said, my husband took me hiking last summer and it was a nightmare. I just knew I would hate it and hate him and it would be a total disaster. (laughs) And it was. However, the next day we found ourselves back out on another trail and then another and then another. And before we knew it, we'd hiked about 75 miles in four weeks. Now I'm the one who pushes us to hike and backpack. We took another backpacking trip last week. And today my husband looks at me and says, hey, let's go camp next week. And we heard a similar story from a couple other listeners who went out this past spring on their first backpacking trip, and they described how hard it was, how miserable, how the weather was bad, how the the trail was pretty much non-existent, they were scrambling over rocks, and ended it by saying, we can't wait to go on our next trip. (laughs) It's really inexplicable, and not every trip is going to be like that, you know, miserable. You're not going to use that to describe every trip, but not every trip is going to be postcard worthy. You know, it's not going to be this perfect temperature range with no rain and no, uh, you know, forgotten gear or injuries or whatever. And so it's okay to be that fair weather backpacker on the trip and say, I am never doing this again. This is terrible. But I have a feeling that by the time you get home, your mind will change and you'll be looking forward to your next trip. So while we cherish those perfect trips with temperatures in the 60s and 70s and beautiful bluebird days up in the mountains, somehow we also cherish the stories from trips like this one we took in June. And if we hadn't taken that quick overnight backpacking trip, we wouldn't have the stories to tell. For today's top five list, the top five features we wish all our gear had. We're not asking for too much with this list. We just want good, lightweight, functional gear and these five little extra features too. These are reasonable, really. 
Yeah, we're not talking uh, helium-filled yeah, packs. Nothing and... ridiculous like that. That's crazy talk. The number one feature that we wish all our gear had is tabs, like little loops, things that you can attach things to. How can you not love tabs? Tabs are great for hanging your gear, connecting gear to other things, using your gear in new and innovative ways. So everything from hammocks to jackets to packs to water storage to solar chargers should have extra tabs. It just makes your gear so much more functional and usable and trendy. Tabs are in, right? Well, I just can't even remember how you got by in life before web browsers had tabs. I know. I think you were the one that introduced tabs to me. Did I? Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I love tabs. But tabs on gear, equally usable. It just makes your gear so you can adjust it more. And one of the great things about tabs on gear is that they don't even add that much weight. I mean, a little one-inch section of tab, maybe a gram. Maybe. The number two feature that we wish all our gear had is reflective accents. Some gear, like guy lines hiking shoes or jackets are embedded with reflective material. They'll have like a little accent on the side or, you know, guy lines sometimes have the reflective accents woven in. It just makes things easier to find in the dark. You just shine your flashlight across the campsite and everything lights up without it being always on like a flashlight. So I think it's a good safety feature that should be embedded into most gear. So embedded into packs, clothing, even water bottles, hammocks, shelters, stoves could even have a little reflective strip on it, or you could add a reflective strip. It just makes it so you can find gear easier at night. The number three feature that we wish all our gear had is windows or translucence. And you know what I mean if you've ever brought an opaque water bottle on a backpacking trip. You know that it's really hard to gauge your water consumption when you can't see your water. Well, it can be just as tricky with your other gear, too. Typically, a pack is opaque, stuff sacks are opaque, but wouldn't it be great if you could see through them even just a little bit so you could tell where your gear is? So either a clear vinyl window or a material that's kind of like Dyneema, that kind of has like a translucent look, then you could tell which of your stuff sacks have your clothing or your stove or your water purifier. And there are some really great stuff sacks out there that are translucent. Hyperlight Mountain Gear makes some stuff sacks that are translucent and ultra lightweight. So I think having gear that has the feature of windows or translucence uh, would really help you to find things faster. I can see why a lot of things like packs are opaque. I think they look good in the store that way and they look very consistent, you know, when they're on your back and nothing is showing through, and so you get this nice, beautiful-looking pack. But of course, when we go backpacking, it's not about the beauty of our gear, it's about the functionality. And as a bonus, like you said, stuff that is translucent is usually thinner and lighter as well. Yeah, and just to illustrate this again, back in the 90s, my parents bought a refrigerator, and it came with these food storage containers that slid into this track inside of our refrigerator. 
Well, they were all opaque, so I can't even tell you the amount of weirdness that my mom had to scrape out of those opaque containers because she could never see what was in them, as opposed to the Rubbermaid containers that were all clear and we used up those leftovers just fine. But the opaque just makes it so you can't see what's inside. And I think that's that's an important feature that I really hope gets incorporated into future gear. Uh, not clothing, though. I think we're we're okay with opaque clothing. Oh. <laughs> we're good with that. Okay. Okay. The number four feature we wish all our gear had is reinforcement accents. So the whole pack doesn't need to be made of bulletproof fabric. But how about just the bottom? We've seen this on several packs that we've reviewed, um, where the bottom is made of thicker, sturdier material. And I love that. Can we apply that to more gear, clothing, tents? And this could even be a DIY kind of thing where you find out where the weak points are in your gear and you can add some reinforcement, you know, do the uh, gear aid thing where they have some patches or some kind of fabric-y tape that you could put on to certain parts of your gear that are getting roughed up a little bit. But really, it would be great if gear was a little more reinforced on those points that are subject to the abuses of backpacking. Yeah, we see some gear like that. Uh, Pants, for example, that have reinforced knees. Mm -hmm. And they actually have an extra layer of fabric or a thicker piece of fabric there over the knee. But it makes sense to put the extra strength where it's needed and to have thinner, lighter fabric everywhere else. And the number five feature we wish all our gear had is pockets. Maybe this is a girl thing. I don't know. Girls are obsessed with pockets. Pockets are helpful in clothing, but it's also handy to have pockets in the tent, in your sleeping bag, and in hammocks. And I've seen some sleeping bags that have like a little zippered pocket where you can put, you know, your cell phone or your glasses, which I guess would be kind of weird to put your glasses in your sleeping bag pocket, but there's room for it. Yeah, and as long as you roll over without rolling your entire (laughs) sleeping bag over on top of you or beneath you, you're fine. Uh, My Slumberjack sleeping bag from back when I was a kid uh, had a little pocket, and I can't remember what I kept in it now. (laughs) Maybe your flashlight? Contact lenses so they wouldn't freeze? Oh, yeah. Yeah, contact lenses. So they'd be a little bit warmer uh, being on the outside of my sleeping bag. I didn't have to keep them right against my skin, but just that being on the sleeping bag helped. So it was a handy little pocket. I also have a montane raincoat that I absolutely love because it's so light and yet truly waterproof. It does a great job. Uh, But as I mentioned in the Summit Gear review of that raincoat, there's no pockets. Well, except for a little pocket on the chest that's meant for stuffing the raincoat into itself. So you could put a little something in that pocket, but not much. And yeah, I, I wish it had pockets. It adds weight, and it also adds a route for rain to get in. It would have to be waterproof zippers and all of that. But I sure do miss my pockets when it's raining and I have that raincoat on. We reviewed a buff in a past episode called the Shouldit Buff, and that was a buff that had a little pocket. So you could put your MP3 player in there, your phone, your ibuprofen, whatever you want to stick in there. And it was a nice little way to keep stuff that you didn't just want to have in your pack nice and close to you. We reviewed the Shouldit buff on episode 97. Uh, Also in episode 49, we just briefly mentioned 
uh, a Kickstarter campaign. And this was two years ago. So the campaign is over and they're in full production. It's Gobi Gear and they have compartmentalized stuff sacks. I love that. That's a great way to use the pocket feature in your gear. Another place where I'd love to see more pockets is hammocks. They have that nice little stuff sack that the whole hammock stuffs into, but I'd love to see a couple other pockets because it wouldn't be that hard to throw on a couple other pockets and it would be so handy. So whether it's tabs, reflective accents, windows, reinforcement accents, or pockets, all of these features either add cost or they add weight. That's just what features do. So in some cases, you can actually hack your own gear and add these features in yourself. So if you're feeling a little bit do-it-yourself-y, you could add a pocket where none exists. You could emblazon your water bottle with a strip of reflective tape, or you could store your gear in a transparent gallon Ziploc bag. Your gear features really are only limited by your imagination. Well, today we're going to take a break from the Summit Gear Review. Uh, we just got back from the Outdoor Retailer Show a couple weeks ago, and we're compiling our notes and getting in touch with companies and uh, testing out new gear that we found there. So we've got a lot more reviews coming. But today we'd like to share a brief story from one of our listeners. This quick story is from Dennis, and I think he just encapsulates why he goes backpacking in a matter of 30 seconds. I was camped on a ridge in the Mount Margaret backcountry near Mount St. Helens. Kind of rained going up to the camp that night. Then it cleared up and a beautiful view of Mount St. Helens. From my campsite, if I turned 180 degrees, there was a beautiful view of Rainier. Well, I went to bed early that night when I woke up in the morning when nature called. There were a million stars in the sky. And the Milky Way spread from Mount St. Helens all the way up to Rainier. These are the reasons I go backpacking. Well, thank you, Dennis, for sharing your inspiring story. If any of our first 40 milers would like to share their story, you can go to thefirst40miles.com slash story and record your story there. For today's backpack hack of the week, homemade whole wheat tortillas. Tortillas are the backpacker's bread. They're flat. They're super versatile, they're almost indestructible, and you don't have to buy them at the store. You can actually make them at home. Then you have a lot more control over the ingredients, and you can get a little bit crazy if you want to. Crazy with tortillas. Crazy. Yeah, you can add things like uh, herbs, spices, jello powder, I don't know, whatever you want to add to it. <laughs> But I have never even imagined. I, okay, I guess there are the uh, those green tortillas, the right. spinach. Is that what yeah, they use yeah. in those? Uh, and then there's whole wheat, and there's white, and then there's corn. Yeah, that I've seen like sun dried tomato. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can do some kind of fun things with tortillas. We're just going to give you the straight recipe: whole wheat tortillas. And I would recommend making these at home, and then taking them on the trail. Because it does require some counter space and some patience to kind of roll things out and get them just right. So you'll need to mix two cups of whole wheat flour, one and a half teaspoons of baking powder, one teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons of oil, which is like a little drizzle, and then three-fourths cup of water. Put that into a stand mixer 
or you could even mix this by hand with your bare hands. Mix it for a while until it's kind of a cohesive ball. Then you'll want to let it rest. And the reason you want to let it rest is to let the gluten relax. Because if you started rolling it out right away, then your tortilla is going to shrink up and get really, you know, thick. And you don't really want a thick tortilla. You want it to be nice and thin. So let it rest for about 10 minutes and cover it up with a towel or a piece of saran wrap so it doesn't dry out. After the dough has rested for 10 minutes, divide the dough up into 16 pieces. And that's really easy. You cut it in half, cut it in half again, then cut those in half, cut it in half again, and you'll have 16 little chunks of dough. Then roll each of those little chunks of dough into a tortilla that's about six to eight inches in diameter. It doesn't have to be perfectly round, but the diameter is important because that gives you an idea of how thick it's gonna be. So six to eight inches in diameter, and then cook the tortilla on medium heat. You can flip it over a couple times while you're cooking it. Um, the best way to describe it is cook it until it looks like a store-bought tortilla. <laughs> kind of has those little brown circles on it. Um, and then as soon as you're done cooking it, put it on a plate and cover it up with like a dish towel or a napkin or something because you don't want it to dry out. It's going to be nice and pliable and moist and you want it to stay that way. You don't want tortillas that'll break in half. And the great thing about this recipe is it'll make 16 small tortillas that fit perfectly into a quart Ziploc bag. Before you put them in the Ziploc bag, make sure that they've cooled completely and then go ahead and put them in and you can take them on your backpacking trip. A little side note, these have no preservatives and so they'll last a couple days probably on the trail, but I wouldn't plan on it being shelf stable like a store-bought tortilla. So these are good for one of those uh, quick overnight or, or two night trips, not for a trip that's going for a week or two. Right. And you probably wouldn't take all 16 tortillas. You'd probably take, you know, three or four, and then the rest of them can go in the freezer and you can defrost them for your next trip. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom. That's an old proverb that we love. And it says, on an unknown path, every foot is slow. What do you think it means? Does it mean that uh, when you're walking in an unfamiliar path that you take it more slowly? That was how I read it. Yeah. Slow for maybe different reasons. Maybe you're unsure of the path. Yeah. Or maybe you're just loving experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. You're but soaking it all in. Yeah. It slows you down. Yeah. Uh, in a good way and maybe in a little, <laughs> you know, a little bit of un uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of both. I love that. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. But for today, we'd like to stare. We'd like to stare. <laughs> okay. I didn't have anything to say, but. Okay. Oh, <laughs> you just were clearing your throat for the fun of it. It sounded like you were going to say something really, really, really I, important. Uh, yeah. Like it was going to go on for a few minutes and I need to be 
ready. Okay. <laughs> But no, I, I just needed to be ready in case I had something to say. 